this was a revelation to me that you might use imaging for splinters. You can't unsee your MRI result. I realized in the last week, I've been, I've been imaged twice. I'm like some <laughs> frequent imager. I was x-rays last week because I'd broken a toe, and which I didn't realize, by the way. It was like I, I, I had gone off and decided it was fine and was running again and then realized, what, it's not fine, and it's pretty seriously not fine. Got it imaged, and I, it, the allegation was it was broken. We'll see what happens. And then, of course, today's episode was getting some stuff removed from a finger. So, You're anyway. good for my profession. I am very good, although I don't, I'm not so good for orthopedic surgeons historically. They mostly just image me and leave me alone because it turns out they can't do anything. But That's so, okay. Your day will come. <laughs> That's nice. That's very reassuring. <laughs> what it, I find really interesting about imaging is there's so many different reasons we do it. I didn't even realize imaging is used for things like it's with splinters, for example. If you can't locate it immediately, apparently, I am told, as I discovered today, they, they sometimes use ultrasound to figure out where the heck the thing is because they can't locate it and they don't want to go digging around. And they'll, they'll start doing ultrasound for that. This was, a, this was a revelation to me that you, you might use imaging for splinters. I love ultrasound. It's really become an amazing tool of late. We don't see many splinters, foreign objects on x-ray. So yeah. the ultrasound becomes our go-to strategy. Yeah, who knew it would be so useful? I, I guess what's interesting to me beyond the splinter problem is the reasons why people get imaging. I, image I find super interesting, and I'm, I'll speak for myself first, is that obviously there's this acute problem. There's the splinter, there's the, the knee tweak, there's the whatever. There's also the other side, which is it can be, a, and this is not to be cynical, but it can be a fairly useful procedure from the standpoint of doctors, because if I don't have a good answer and you won't go away, a good way to punch you out of the office is to send you off and get some imaging done, right? Well, that might be a good way to get you out of the office, or it might be a good way to guarantee that you're going to come back often. <laughs> That's true. You'll come You'll come bouncing back. The, the other one that I find interesting is the idea that, and, and I see this a lot, I'll hear this from people, and you see this a lot in pro sports, there's this knee-jerk tweak no pun intended, that, that an athlete has an injury on a, or something goes wrong on a Sunday and fans are all huddled around or some, or, or a subreddit trying to find out, well, have they done the scan yet? Have they done the scan yet? Is there anything, have we learned anything about what's happened to this? And it's this it's almost, I don't even know, palliative reassurance that people get from knowing that the scan was done. No one even really cares what it says. It's just that you had the scan, right? Professional sports is a whole whole different yeah. arena, right? You have right. to image them. You're paying a lot of money for them. You want to know what's going on. Are they playing next week or not? Right. But it sets the bar really high when they come to the office and we don't offer them the opportunity to have an MRI as soon as they come in for an evaluation. So let's go through the top 10 list in terms of the kinds of imaging you see most often in orthopedics. I mean, I'll, speaking for myself, I think I've probably been x-rayed more often than I've been MRI'd. I've been ultrasound a couple of times, CTs, never. Uh, that's So I would say if I had to make a loose billboard-style top three or four list, it's x-ray, MRI, ultrasound, and then nada. Yeah, so x-ray is definitely first. We are in the habit of x-raying most joints, uh, even first-time evaluations, certainly after injuries. We've come, come back and forth with the Ottawa score for ankle sprains. Should we x-ray or shouldn't we x-ray? Most of us will x-ray any, any acute injury. And certainly if a pain per, 
persists. So if you have spontaneous pain in the knee, you wake up one day and you come in and we try some Advil for a few days, it doesn't go away. If you bounce back to the office, you're getting an x-ray. Now, I love ultrasound. I think that's starting to hit a crescendo in popularity because it's really a point of care device. I now have a good portable unit for as little as $2,000 that I can plug into my phone or my iPad and immediately image you and tell you if your hamstring is avulsed. And I can do that on the sideline of a soccer game. Let's jump to the two big and expensive machines. I mean, so MRIs and CT scans are, are really impressive to people, I often think, just because it feels like there must be something important going on here, given all the noise they create. If someone tells you they started off with a, if someone thinks that they've a knee or something, does it surprise you that they get sent for an MRI? It's infuriating that they get sent for an MRI uh, first, especially take you and I, right? We come off a trail, we wake up the next morning and our knee hurts. And for some reason, we go to see our orthopedist uh, or a primary care doctor and an MRI is ordered. So... Forget the fact that we haven't waited and seen if just the tincture of time is going to work, but they haven't even gotten an x-ray because right. I don't want to be that orthopedist who ordered an MRI on a severely arthritic knee. Right, because you've got no, we'll come back to this, but you've got no history, right? You have no idea what was there before, at least, at least if not if they're, maybe if they're a long-term patient who you've seen for other things, but otherwise no idea. Right. We accept the fact that we need glasses, our hairline recedes, and we wrinkle and we age on the outside. And somehow we can't accept that anything is wrong on the inside. And we have a plethora of age-appropriate findings in joints. And sometimes it's quite challenging to determine if these are acute fresh or has it been there for 10 years? Is it the cause of pain or is it not yeah. the cause of pain? So an MRI can create as much trouble as it can solve problems. Do you ever, do you ever find, <laughs> is there any use in CT for you outside of particularly traumatic energy things? Oh yeah. So take for example, shoulder instability. So shoulder dislocations, you've had four, five, six. And what we're learning now is the failure rate is often associated with bony uh, changes on the glenoid or the socket. And so we will CT some of these shoulders to see what the alignment is uh, and what and how that will guide our procedure. So we, are, get, we, we do you, use CTs. But you can't get that from MRI? Uh, you can, but it's not nearly as beneficial as a CAT scan. You're not really? going to okay. see the same clarity in terms of the focus of how well the bone appears. So let's deeper into MRI, because that seems to be the one that leads to the most mischief, maybe <laughs> most, help, most helpful and most mischievous in some ways. I don't know. What's, if, what do you think it's particularly good for? I mean, I look at it and I think, the, the, it can get inside soft tissue, you can get inside joints, all of these things, all else equal are useful if you already have a bias to think that there's something there that you need to know about, right? Yes. Ultimately, the perfect use case for an MRI in my practice, sports medicine practice, is to confirm my suspicions. So 
in a classic case, I'm talking to an athlete, I'm going to know the diagnosis before I'm done talking to them. My exam should confirm it. Let's say it's an ACL tear. We know that there are certain concomitant in injuries that can occur at the same time. I may not be able to tell based on my exam if they exist. So if we're going to be planning an operation, then an MRI is critical to help you plan that operation appropriately. Right. But you've already got a bias to say, uh, based on the following the following tests that I've done during a physical exam, there seems to be some laxity, some looseness in the joint, the, the nature of the injuries to suggest that there's possibly an AC. You've got a pretty good idea before the MRI even happens. Yes. If you don't have a good suspicion of what's going on, you're probably not going to learn much from the MRI. Yes, they can be useful, but they're also going to show things. So one thing that drives me nuts are adults, <laughs> 50, 60-year-olds with labral tears in the shoulder. So uh -huh. the labrum is a cartilage disc. And by the time yep. you reach our age, most people have a torn labrum. It's not the I'm, cause I'm, of your pain. I'm proud of my torn labrum. I've been thinking of getting right. t-shirts about it. I've had one since I was 20. You know, I'm still throwing yeah. balls and frisbees and everything else and doing my push-ups and pull-ups. But you can't unsee your MRI result. So that 60-year-old tennis player gets an MRI, sees on the report that there's a labral tear. What do you think he or she is going to think every time they serve the ball and their shoulder hurts? They're blaming that label tear. Yeah. So well, let's, well, let's come back to that in a second. There's an amazing YouTube video. I think it's from Germany where the experimenters were throwing various things inside of an MRI machine, <laughs> so, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, but it was actually outrageously interesting. It's got a few million views, I think. And they started off with a stapler and the headline is, MRI machine hates stapler. They throw it into a, <laughs> they throw it inside and it goes ping, 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 ping around inside and it completely destroys the stapler. Like, and then they step it up a notch. They have like a desk chair, and it actually got up to two thousand pounds of pressure pulling the chair into the into the MRI machine before the chair basically exploded. Baby, there we go. That's fascinating. It's fabulous. As an MRI veteran, if you go in, the checklist of stuff that they ask you about now, in terms of you know, the kinds of implants and devices and whatever else you might have in your body, right up to things like having a uh, a, like a small piece of metal in your eye. Is it possible you were working with metal? These kinds of questions where you're like, oh my goodness, it is possible I have a small piece of metal in my eye and I don't know. And, you start, and it all comes back to, these are pretty amazing devices, but come without, they don't come without their own issues, ranging from, as I said, metal objects moving around. Uh, the, there's huge issues with more obese patients as well, right? Oh, yes. And these things, as you say, do not come without without risk. And unfortunately, all these lists of do's and don'ts come from bad experiences. Right. Very bad right. experiences. Yeah. <laughs> there was one I saw, another case not too long ago. I forgot why I have a buff for this, I guess. There was a, a, a CHP officer a few years ago who had, had not told that he had a, 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 a hidden firearm. And so whenever he got in and he had put the firearm down and put it on a, one of those tables that are often oh, inside God. the MRI chambers, and they turned on the magnet, well, of course, the gun just went whooting across the room into the machine, fired twice. No one was hurt, but the machine was destroyed. Oh, my God. It's yeah. just like, note to self, no hidden weapons. So. 
<laughs> and these are all the things that I would have if I had Paul's own MRI shop. So <laughs> let's so let's go. Let's jump over to the, the the unseeing problem because I think this is is so important. And I'll give my own example, which was years ago. I I think I had an MRI on my right knee, and it was it was quite sore from an ultra run I had done. And I got back to I. I was purely speculative. It hadn't gotten better after a while and so on. And on the report, it said I had, quote, joint effusion. Like, oh, that's it. I knew it. I knew I had joint effusion. I knew it all along. This was the problem. And then I thought, I said, what the hell is joint effusion? <laughs> right? <laughs> it was not exactly a, in common parlance. And you realize this is just some, a little bit of fluid or some swelling, which could have been there all the time. It could have been there, could have, might have just happened because of this long event, but it's probably going to go away. But it was really, really tough to unsee the image, but also to even unsee the radiologist's read of the image. Yeah, I have my own experience. It's the same thing. I did a long run. I tweaked my right knee. I hyperextended it. My knee was swollen. I had an infusion. It hurt for two, three months. Finally, I stepped into a magnet. There's a meniscus tear. There's a cartilage injury. I'm like, that's it. My running is done. And all of a sudden, three weeks later, swelling gone, pain gone. I'm back on the trails and running. But in the back of my mind, even with all that I know about the fact that most meniscus tears don't need treatment, I'm always thinking whenever I twist that knee, oh, is that the meniscus tear? So I can only imagine what it's like for people who don't understand the natural history of these issues. So I'll play devil's advocate because there's this spirit of open data, we'll, we'll loosely call it, and people want to see their, their images. You never used to be able to, and now you, they want to see it, they want to bring it, they want to look at the reports, it's all available. Some would say, all right, I've heard people say this, that trying to keep people from seeing these things is, is just the medical, and the, bus the business circling its wagons and being paternalistic and saying you're too stupid to understand this. Well, I think it's going the other way, actually. They're actually trying to get radiologists to sit with patients to review it. I think that creates a whole host of problems yeah. for the patient, the surgeon, and the radiologist. Specifically what? Well, because it, the radiologist might know that there's a meniscus tear. They may not know that we don't operate on the majority of meniscus tears in 50-year-olds. Same with rotator cuff tears, same with label tears. So they can certainly sit there with the patient and delineate what they see on the MRI. But I don't imagine that most have the training to put it all in context. So in, in, in Howard's perfect world, how would you handle that? Yeah, I really implore my patients before I send them to the MRI I tell them very specifically, this is what I'm looking for. Your MRI is going to say this, and it would have said this a year ago before you were injured last week. So I'm not going to care about these little things that are going to show up and that I anticipate simply based on your age. I'm looking for X, Y, and Z, and I'll spell it out. Then I implore them, please do not grab your report, hit, hit Google, and panic. Just come into the office. We'll go over your images. I'll explain what I see, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, and that's that's such an important point because that last bit about copy and paste from the radiologist report into Google, and I, the way I always phrase it to people, and I was just saying this to a running friend the other day, is that there's a survivorship bias to use the behavioral that 
if you think about who posted the thing that you're now finding when you search online, there's some very active knee and hip forums online, for example, where a lot of patients, people who've found something wrong or think they found something wrong or been operated on all right, those, these are not people in general who are out running, doing other things, feel like everything's fixed. Why? Because they're busy doing all those other things. And so the, the population of Google search results for any constellation of symptoms is hugely, has in it, hugely overrepresented in it, people who have problems that involve the keywords that you're searching for by definition. By definition, the, the pool's polluted with that kind of data and there's no way around it. And yet people don't realize that when they start searching for these things. Yes, I, you know, I have, I have a very active website. Uh, it gets a ton of traffic and I've tried to rank for keywords in these areas and it's really hard. You either get these Q&A sites where it is the unhappy people or the people who are not doing well uh, and for whatever reason they've chosen to share their experiences. Uh, and then you get the people who are buying these keywords. You get the hospital for, for special surgery saying you need an operation and we're happy to do it. So it's really hard to get meaningful, actionable, useful information to bubble up on Google. And, and that's, but I just think that's such an important point that people don't understand that how that stuff gets there that you're searching for, it doesn't even require cynicism by the people putting it there. It's just an artifact of the overrepresentation of injured people among the people who are discussing things. I mean, I had retina surgery years ago and Everything went fine, knock on wood, um, but I don't, I don't post about it. But if you go out there and search for the exact procedures that I, have, I had done, I guarantee you it's a nonstop horror story. People who've had all kinds of complications, loss of vision, didn't go well. And this well, given the nature of the beast, whether it's orthopedics or, uh, or ophthalmology. Absolutely. We face the same issue with, with physician rating sites, right? You have a great experience in a doctor's office. You're off and moving on to your next thing. You're not going to jump on Google and praise them. What's your feeling about, I mean, I'm watching this, the innovation, the changes in, in MRI specifically, but in scanning in general. We talked a little bit about how ultrasound is becoming cheaper and more portable, and that's probably a good thing. MRI, on the other hand, I don't know if it's becoming cheaper. My sense is it's not much cheaper, and it's definitely not more portable. Magnets are great, big, awful things. But they are becoming the field, the magnetic field involved is ratcheting up. We had two, one and a half Tesla and two Tesla, and I don't even know what we're up to now. Tesla? Might Five. Be higher. Five Tesla. There you go. <laughs> I'm out of day. My concern with this stuff is the subtleties of what you're finding are just so minute that the opportunity to find things that have absolutely and no practical meaning are legion. Yeah. The, it's a race to the bottom. How many little things can we find and describe? And then right, because you're going to find them. You're going to find lots of things. Five Tesla, oh my God. <laughs> and then you have people go for second opinions on their surgeon's recommendations. They don't go for second opinions on their MRI readings. I'm not even sure they can, but they should. Oh, because absolutely. depending on the imaging center, you might have your scan read by someone 
who reads breast, belly, brains, and shoulders. You're going to get a different read from them. And, and, you've got, and you've got time of day effects. There's all sorts of wonderful papers showing absolutely. that radiologist yeah. reads are, are influenced by day, day of week and time of day. And these, these are material impacts. Very much so. And in my world, I very much rely on pertinent negatives. So if you say, you know, if this says, the MRI says small degenerative meniscus tear, but doesn't, doesn't mention 10 other structures in the knee, I'm just going to assume you didn't look at it. I'm, I'm not going to assume that you looked at it and it's normal because there are some subtle things that do bother people that I really want to know if you looked at. You know, uh, not all knee pain is meniscus tear. Yeah. Uh, so I need to know more about the knee than just the status of the meniscus. So as a, a mature sports surgeon, I certainly have my favorite radiologists and imaging facilities. Do you f I, I had I had an, an orthopedic guy tell me once that, and he said it quite proudly, which I was amused. It was completely dismissive. He says, "I never look at any radiologist report ever." Uh, so I look at every radiologist report because I'm not perfect either, and those reports have saved me and saved my patients on a shoulder X-ray where there's a mass in the in the chest, something totally unexpected. And so uh, I, I absolutely look at every image myself. I look at every x-ray, every MRI, but I'm going to look at the report. A lot of, they see a lot of images by definition. I just it struck me as a, I get it. There's a lot of chutzpah. It's super macho, but hey. Very much this, so. Right. There's a lot, these other guys and men and women see a ton of these sorts of images. And sometimes it helps to have a large, they say in the machine learning world, a large corpus of, of data to pull from. And Dismissing yes. it seems a bit ridiculous, but I, I, I does, didn't surprise me either. So, well, has, it, has it gotten harder? To, let's step back from imaging a little bit to thinking about the next generation of sports surgeons coming along. Does it does this this reliance on image? Is it making it harder to train people? Maybe outside your own, but just you're seeing in terms of people's instinct to race straight to images, and if it isn't on the image, it isn't there, or vice versa. I don't want to rely on the physical exam until I've seen an image. Yeah, we're very much in the middle of a high-tech, low-touch medical environment, uh, one that I rail against on my website and saddens me because it's not unusual to hear patients c complain that they tried to schedule a visit to see another surgeon and they insisted on an MRI first. All the time. Uh, and it's, for residents... The residency review committees and a lot of the directors, uh, they focus on the number of cases, the breadth of cases, the type of cases, the variation of cases, enough complications, etc. Not necessarily on why that, that patient that they're operating on is in the operating room. So if you're a resident and you're, out and you're fixing five rotator cuff tears with me on Friday, you might therefore assume that everyone who comes to my office with a rotator cuff tear is ending up in the operating room. Uh, yeah. So it becomes quite a challenge. How do, you, how do you talk the young doctors off the ledge of thinking that before they can say anything even remotely definitive, they need that, need that image? Uh, it's just time and <laughs> it's shouted out for time and experience. Image? I mean, my own experience has morphed dramatically 
for much the same reasons. Yes, we were in clinic, uh, often unsupervised as trainees. And I was 20-something years old. I really didn't know that much. And I've, my training has come full circle from being high tech and low touch to being high touch and low tech and occasional tech, tech when necessary. Which isn't a bad thing. No, it's a very good thing. Do you think your cohort is the last of a generation who has a appropriately skeptical view of imaging or is this, are the cows out of the barn? Is this all just fighting a rear guard action here. There's nothing we can do about it. We're going to have to deal with patients too. That's a great question. There are a bunch of young orthopods who are on Twitter who I've come to know over the last year. And I'm very happy to say that they're railing also against this imaging of every knee or shoulder that comes into their clinic. They are tired of having to resort to getting an x-ray only after an MRI has been obtained. And they clearly state we could have made all the clinical decisions that are necessary to treat this person based on the x-ray. And then you have a lot of older folks like Jimmy Andrews, right? Famous sports surgeon. His his most most famous line is, if you want an excuse to operate on an athlete, all you need to do is get an MRI. So the word is certainly getting out there, but in a in a productivity-based healthcare environment, which is fee-for-service and will stay that way for a long time to come, the more service, the more fees. So it's something that there is certainly appropriate need for imaging, and I certainly obtain enough MRIs to keep our imaging center busy. But it's certainly not the majority of people who come in my office. Yeah, uh, it's. I have to. I was for a while was fairly optimistic about this stuff. I used to feel like cheaper MRIs were a good thing, and higher magnetic fields were going to give us better. And I and I now feel like, as I see more and more of the research in this area, and at almost at any age, I was reading something not too long ago about the incidence of acetabular impingement among young, I think it was like Danish soccer players under the age of 20, seeing if they had, uh, what, there's two varieties, right? There's the cam and pincher. The, the incidence was, was like low teens or something like this. And it was completely asymptomatic. So it was completely irrelevant. And yet I don't think people have really got it into their heads yet how the wilds diversity of, of structures in the body that look like they have some kind of pathology are asymptomatic. And, and asymptomatic even hurts as a word because it makes, I was saying this to someone the other day that when you describe some unusual, some structure that seems slightly outside the norm as asymptomatic, people's immediate reaction is, well, that means one day it'll become symptomatic, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's no doubt. Way. Yeah, it's just the, the whole word makes them think, well, I'm going to go from asymptomatic to symptomatic because you use that word. <laughs> It's, it was really striking, though, that the incident, it isn't just aging athletes like you and I. It's, it's, it's young athletes. Everyone has these structural quirks. And the more, the more intensive the imaging, the more of these we discover and the more opportunities for mischief. Sure. Yeah. And parents, right? Right. At, at, everyone is the parent of a superstar athlete. You don't understand, doctor. They are the best on the team. Right. I mean, have you ever walked into an orthopedist office and insisted on an MRI? Oh, I don't do that. No. You know, I get that. I get that all the time. Yeah. Which is, 
And if um, you don't, it'll show up in a it'll show up in a Yelp rating. I've seen this in Yelp ratings. I went in, there was a problem. I couldn't get him to do an MRI. I had to go to a different doctor. So yes, it'll show up in a Yelp rating, but worse, it shows up in HCAP scores. So it shows, and those are scores that if you're a hospital employee, that's going to come back to bite you. Just yeah, it's hard to see how this gets sorted out because I think about this in the context of instrumentation of people and everyone walking around with sleep monitors and tracking all sorts of bioindicators. And I think we're going to go through this sort of feeling like everything's broken and needs to be fixed. And they may be eventually growing up and realizing being broken is part of our charm. Right. I think this is a good role for the insurers. Yes, they do block imaging far too much. However, if if <laughs> I think that a large number of imaging uh, studies are ordered because the discussion as to why it's not necessary is going to take 10x longer. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, the, um, yeah. so someone might be inclined to order that test, but the insurer is going to say, what's your indication, right? You haven't tried X, Y, and Z. It's only been hurting for three or four days. Call us back in a month. So there <laughs> It's a, a Kafka-esque problem that maybe insurers, by being so hidebound and slow-moving, in some ways solve the problem for themselves by being unwilling, unwilling to do anything. It could be, but they'll go, they go too far. Yeah. Yeah. No, they do. But you know, maybe having someone there playing blocker on this stuff isn't such a bad thing. Because as we go towards the world of portable ultrasounds, five Tesla MRI, ubiquitous, ubiquitous imaging, really, this, this is a, a very different place from even persistent monitors of, of heart rates and other things, because we're looking deep inside and there's an awful lot of structures in there that are pretty unusual from person to person, I guess. Without a doubt, we are an over-diagnosed, over-imaged society. And that unfortunately leads oftentimes to over-treatment, which undoubtedly is going to lead to major complications. But the thoughts of being a medical conservative and how to approach being so, it, it's starting to reborn again. So there is some hope. Well, on that modestly hopeful note, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Okay, Paul. Okay, here comes the disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. Content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. And we will not respond to requests for medical advice.